Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to, excuse me, may I have some more? We are the podcast with an insatiable appetite. My name is Brad Kramer. I am joined by my co-host, Christine Struble. She is the grand poobah of foodsidea.com, and I am a lowly contributor to the same site. And on this week's episode, we have Christine's interview with the star of The Office, Brian Bumgartner, who played Kevin Malone on the show, even though I have not seen the show. And coming up later in the episode, I chat with Top Chef All-Stars LA winner, Melissa King, um, about her various experiences on, on the show. It's a really interesting uh, insight that she provides on her experience on Top Chef. So we'll get to that later in the episode. And it's funny because The Office, which I have not watched, it's sort of like people say, oh, I haven't watched MASH or I haven't watched Seinfeld. It's not a show that I have ever seen, but thanks to our good friends at Peacock Network and NBC Universal and Bravo TV, it's one-stop shopping for episodes of The Office. If you haven't uh, had the chance to watch that show or people like me that have not experienced it but want to and need to, and also for, I think, the first 15 episodes, first 15 seasons of Top Chef, so not only do we have Christine chatting with Brian on this episode from The Office and, and me chatting with Melissa, both shows that uh, they are known for can be enjoyed, binged, um, watched at your leisure on Peacock Network. So it's funny because I will mention almost on a daily, daily basis to my kids that, hey, today is national so-and-so day. Um, the daily food holidays, for lack of a better word, or better label, have become so big, um, probably because of the proliferation of social media, and they can be promoted through Instagram and Twitter. And one of those days that we recently, quote unquote, celebrated, um, which is fitting in the dog days of winter when half the country is still thawing out from uh, recent ice storms and subarctic temperatures, was National Chili Day. And along those lines... Christine, recently you got to talk to Brian Bumgartner, who's one of the stars of The Office, who is involved with Bush Beans every year on behalf of, uh, uh, just to commemorate National Chili Day. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that interview in a minute. But have you whipped up your own batch of chili recently? Or does being in Florida, where it's 75 degrees 
and warm for the most part, even during the winter months, preclude you from hopping on that bandwagon? No, I we do chili often. It's kind of one of those dishes that you make once and you kind of eat multiple times um, because it's that big pot of food that normally takes a long time to make. I mean, you you put it on the stove and you let it simmer and you let all the flavors kind of meld together, whether you, you like something that's really tomato based, or if you like something super spicy, um, it, it takes time to kind of create that perfect pot of chili. And, and even as Brian said, or other people have said in the past, a lot of people believe that chili is better say the second or third day. So you make it once and then you kind of let it sit in the refrigerator and then you bring it back to temperature and serve it again. Um, you know, many people remember Brian who played Kevin Malone in the office where he had that big product chili. And, you know, as he's bringing it in to share with all his coworkers, it gets spilled everywhere. The trick is to undercook the onions. Everybody is going to get to know each other in the pot. I'm serious about this stuff. I can't help but ask whether you are a traditionalist from a protein standpoint in the chili that you make. Is it beef, beef, beef in one form or another? Or do you go the chicken route? Do you go the turkey route? Um, What's your preferred or your regular protein that, that you do when you make it for your family? Well, in my household, normally the person who makes the chili is my husband. And there is only one chili, one type, one beef and chili. And it, um, it is very specific. He actually goes and gets stew meat and we put it on the smoker hmm. and we smoke the, the, the stew meat for a little bit. So it gets, you know, a, a nice smoke ring. And then we put that in the chili, no ground beef, um, or definitely no chicken. If we do add something else to it, it would be um, a hot Italian sausage because fortunately in this household, I'm outweighed by three men and they all like to have scorching hot chili, (laughs) almost to the point where it makes you cry (laughs) with the spice level. So um, yeah, that's normally what it is in our world. What about you, Brad? Are you a, a ch- chili purist or are you uh, willing to take a different approach to what's in the chili pot? Well, first of all, I have to say you got me by mentioning the smoked chili growing up. My mom also made smoked chili, but she didn't use a smoker. She simply burned it. So let's listen to your conversation with Brian Bumgartner. Hi, Brian. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Um, I, I think with all the cold weather right now, it's kind of fitting that we're talking about chili. So I'm kind of curious, how, why do you think that chili makes such a good cold weather food? Well, I think it's, I think it, I think it makes you feel good, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a comfort for people. And especially, yeah, with, like you said, when it's cold outside, it kind of warms the house. It's almost like the equivalent of the, uh, you know, what the, uh, uh, I can't think of the name of it, Christmas time. You know, there's the, the cinnamon thing with the, um, Oh, you mean like, like when, when you make like a mold wine or you have like, you know, yeah, cinnamon like rolls, it, like, but... it, like it smells, 
it smells and feels sort of comfortable and good. I think, you know, for me anyway, and I know a lot of people, uh, being able to, you know, one, take the time to make chili, it, I feel like it transforms the house in a way. And, and usually, or at least with me, you have it uh, to be able to enjoy for a few days as well. Well, do you find uh, that I know like when I make chili, one, it's a long process, and two, it kind of tastes better the second, third, and maybe if there's extra enough, the fourth day. Do you find that that, that like your chili recipe kind of blossoms a little more the, the more it marinates and sits? I think, I think with everything, uh, yes. I think for sure it's, it's certainly not worse. The second day, that's for sure. Um, I, I think I, I, like it sounds like you do, I do take the long, I, I make the long play with chili. So, but, you know, I think people become misguided and think that that means that it takes you a long time. I think more it's just the time uh, that it takes to cook and that it's on the stove. Um, I... Um, but yes, I I do typically will freeze some, and that will be good later, but also keep some in the fridge, and the next day or two, it's always at least as good or better. Well, um, some people have like a tried and true recipe that they do every single time, and other people will go through and, oh, it's a smattering of this, it's a you know handful of seasonings of that. Which kind of methodology do you fall into that stick to a recipe or kind of play as you go? Well, I, you know, look, I feel like I'm getting to know my way around a kitchen better. Um, and certainly now I have made chili um, <laughs> enough that I can play around with it a little bit. I do have a, a recipe that I use. There is a recipe for the chili um that I, I make most of the time on, on Bush's uh, website. Um, but, but I, I don't mind playing. Like I, there, I, I have done turkey chili quite a bit and also will use meat. And then sometimes, uh, well, vegetarian as well. So like true uh, bean chili, but also, um, I've gotten into doing some of the brisket, like really, really slow cooked type stuff, uh, that Texas style. Um, and for me, it's about experimenting with uh, some of the spice. I, I, I'm not a super, super spicy uh, guy, but I think you have to have a little bit of bite in there to give it, um, you know, that texture of flavor. So I, I would say I experiment in the spices more than uh, like the amounts and so forth than than really with the ingredients most of the time. I mean, you've been kind of associated with chili because of the office and the great spilling moment. So when it comes to that, is there a, do you have like a hint or um, a suggestion of what to do so you don't, you know, waste any of that precious chili that you spent so long making? Well... Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not going to say that I never made chili before, but I think after the experience of The Office, I mean, look, I never thought that chili would be something that I would be known for. And even when I filmed that scene 
the idea that it would have become so much a part of the cultural zeitgeist at this point in time, I never, I never dreamed of that. Um, but you know, I, I partnered, you know, Bush has approached me about, about partnering with them and I just immediately made so much sense. I use Bush's chili beans. I love making chili. I think it's fun for people. And, um, and so we partnered last year and let's just say that all the chili did not stay in the pot. And so part of our challenge this year, uh, we feel like we have the chili down pretty well like we have we have the recipe that i make we have it down well our challenge this year was to make sure that the chili stays in the pot so uh our partnership this year was really about as opposed to creating a different kind of chili was really about creating a chili pot a no spilly chili pot that ensures that I finally get to enjoy the chili that I make. Well, now that it seems you have the pot so you don't spill, the other thing that I find in my household, especially with my husband, is he tends to spill on his shirt. So do you have any recommendations of maybe how the, not to spill on your shirt without, you know, not to spill your chili on your shirt? You know, I feel like you have given us a great challenge for next year. I feel like uh, that maybe that's the next thing we need to figure out. I I have a similar issue as well. I I it 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 can get messy. It can get messy. We're trying to clean it up a little bit this year, um, but uh, no. I, I I guess I need to go back into the workshop and try to figure out something about at least how to get it out of the shirt or keep you from putting it on the shirt. Before I let you go, I have a couple either or scenarios. When it comes to chili. So some people, you know, are very particular with their toppings or their side dishes. So when it, on your chili, cheese or sour cream? Cheese. Um, One type of bean or many types of beans? Oh, love that question. Two types, kidney, pinto. Okay. Um, Ground beef. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Ground beef. Or like beef pieces, like if you took a smoked brisket and, and chopped it up into like little pieces versus hamburger meat ground beef. Both great. Uh, like my typical would involve ground um, ground meat and m- most often all turkey breast ground turkey breast meat. Onions or jalapenos on top? Onions. Uh, Onions. And last but not least, oyster crackers or cornbread? See, I'm not a... uh, Okay. Can I answer a little longer? Absolutely. This is a fast fast answer. I don't like... Cornbread on the side, that's great. I don't like the, like, putting stuff in there. I don't, I'm sorry, like an additional breaded carbohydrate cracker thing on top. I will occasionally use an unnamed brand cracker to like scoop, splat, slash spoon out, but I don't like it getting soggy. 
So it's more of like a textural thing. You don't want the, the soggy component in it versus just having another topping on it. Correct. So the second season of Tournament of Champions is now starting to air on Food Network. And I did not watch season one. Um, you did, and I believe you covered it and wrote about it for our site, Food Society. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts were on season one. I'm interested in, in checking it out for season two. If for no other reason, well, I love food competition shows if they're done well, but I am a top chef. Um, not, I'm unabashed. I make no, no secrets about that. And five top chef alumni are competing on season two. And that would be Michael and Brian Voltaggio, Brooke Williamson, who I believe won season one. Antonio LaFaso and of course my favorite Brian Malarkey. So I'm just curious what your takeaways were from season one and what you're uh, looking forward to for season two. I think the biggest takeaway for me for season one was how much it celebrated women chefs, which, you know, if you look back at some other bigger celebrity chef driven series on the food network thinking back to like iron chef it was normally like an all boys club and this time if you look at the final four that were uh, battling out in season one you know you had brooke williamson and antonio uh, antonia uh, lafaso and Manit shohan and amanda freitag and in that final four bracket so it really gave a strong picture of women chefs and how creative they can be, especially in the moment. And the whole point of the show wasn't necessarily the secret ingredient that you would get a la Iron Chef. It was the randomizer where they had to put together a protein, a vegetable, a cooking style, meaning like a type of cuisine or a region of cuisine, and then a particular a kitchen appliance or a, a not necessarily a kitchen gadget, but something like that. Like they had to use a mandolin or they had to use a deep fryer. So as the competition went on, these random or allegedly random um, ingredients and components all had to come together in a composed dish. Now you could, everyone can differ on opinions of it. It was important. I think that the judges were always um, tasting blind. So they didn't know which chef did which dish. And that might've made a difference if they knew who was the chef behind the creation. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. But I mean, if you look at what Brooke did, I think she probably was the most creative out of the chefs in the competition and she was able to execute well. And I think given her having done other cooking competitions, you know, having been on top chef multiple times and having that experience, it probably lend itself well to this type of random scenario where you've got to think very quickly on your feet and produce a restaurant quality dish to impress another chef with an elevated palate. It's not like, Hey, let's scrounge through the pantry and, you know, put something on the table for the family. This has got to be plated well, layers of flavor and, and pushing the creative envelope. 
And I would think that that definitely that her experience on Top Chef would have been an ex, uh, a definite advantage because then you take somebody like a Mark Murphy or an Amanda Freitag and sure they may hop on and you know do a special episode of Chopped or next Iron Chef competition that Amanda has done. But Brooke was in the trenches for 10, 11, 12, 13 weeks of Top Chef week in and week out with different challenges and different curveballs, And you probably develop a lot of culinary agility for lack of a better expression, doing that, that prepared her for this. And, and I also think there is some value in addition to having that cooking competition experience to some of the chefs are ones who are maybe still cooking in their own restaurants. If you look at Antonia she, you know, still has ties to her restaurant and maybe is not cooking there every night, but th- she's a little more active into that whole scenario versus someone like Mark Murphy, who doesn't have his own restaurant anymore. Right. So there, there is a difference um, with that. How it plays out in this upcoming season, we'll have to see. Speaking of talented chefs and speaking of top chef. I had a chance to talk to Melissa King, who I mentioned earlier, won season 17, which was Top Chef All-Stars. Let's take a listen. Melissa, you are Top Chef. (laughs) Filming aside, can you talk about the challenge of being in the Top Chef bubble uh, for the not, not the last night, well, for nine weeks recently? Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, we had to create this really safe environment for us to be able to film. And that required, you know, getting COVID tested every other day, um, making sure we had separate pods and different sort of like bubbles within bubbles right. of, of people. So um, certain people I did not encounter at all on set. Um, because it was so protected. And so, you know, really, I think production tried their best to really create a safe environment for us, knowing that we're filming in the middle of a pandemic. So from a pandemic, that aside from the pandemic aside, being in the bubble or the pod within the bubble, did it have a summer camp feel with Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you've seen all over Instagram yeah. um, through mine and a few other uh, members that were there with me. It was very much the summer camp feel um, because, you know, we're, we're all there together and we know it's safe. We know everyone's being tested. We know that we're not leaving that specific pod to go into other bubbles. Um, so we kind of created this little safe community for us to be able to hang out and occasionally have dinners together. And I think you saw that we were dancing. We were like line dancing. I was going to say, Tom, Tom seemed disappointed that he missed out on the, on the slide, oh, the electric exactly. slide. Exactly. He, he was pretty bummed out about that. But, you know, it was so much fun in ways because when I'm not, when I wasn't filming and I'm just back home in my house, I'm by myself. Right. And so it was sort of nice to have the sense of normalcy and, and like a regular, what the world used to be like <laughs> and be able to socialize with people. Right. What were your takeaways separately from season 18 and that whole, you know, the, the chef testants and the season and the shoots and then separately top chef amateurs as a 
a spin-off, a format, and working with Gail on that. Yeah, um, you mean from the production end? How yeah, was like that what, yeah, just experientially, what what were the two shows like for you? What are your takeaways? Like, oh, those the worst the worst sixteen chefs I've ever seen, <laughs> or the yeah, home cook the home cooks blew me away. I'm honestly very excited for both shows. I think um, you know the first show is just you know your typical Top Chef, right. uh, competitive sort of nature to it. Um, and I think we have a really great lineup of chefs coming through. So I'm excited for the world to get to meet them. And also, I think it's a whole different dynamic this season because we do have an all-star panel that's judging. And that's the first time we've ever done that. So um, I think it'll add a different uh, sort of twist to the show and a and, uh, different perspective because, you know, you have people that have gone through the competition. We know what it feels like to be in their shoes um, and to be judging them. So it, it'll be a different twist. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. And then the amateurs um, show is also this whole other new beast. You know, it's our first time. It's a new competition series um, where the public gets to be a part of it and they get to, you know, like you could apply for the show and be on there and cooking with us. Um, and so I think that's going to be a really fun, um, uplifting sort of show for, for viewers. Um, so I'm pretty excited to see how it all turns out. Were you impressed with the quality of cooking that the amateurs did? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Blown away, actually. So I think there, you know, you have a really great lineup of, of amateurs coming through this kitchen. And a lot of them, you know, they've been watching, they're just like you, they've been watching right. Top Chef for years, every season. They know every detail of every quick fire that's ever happened, things that I can't even remember uh, from my own season. And um, it's pretty exciting to see them bring that sort of um, passion to, to the show. So I think, I think viewers are gonna be pretty into it. You were, you're only a year removed from shooting All-Stars where you were competing and you were being judged and how did that affect your approach to being on the other side of the table in Portland? and judging others and trying and, and having the memory of being judged so fresh in your mind? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I, I think it's, uh, how can I say this? I mean, because I've gone through it, <laughs> right. I know how they feel. You know I, know, I know the anxiety and the stress of the competition. And I think all of us do that are on that panel. Um, but being fresh out of it, I think, yeah, I, I even was nervous for them. <laughs> you know, a lot of the times I'm like, you know, I know exactly what they're feeling in this moment. Um, but I think that adds a bit of, like it kind of grounds a lot of us in our judging um, because we're able to sort of empathize a little more with, with what they're going through. Um, but I don't know, I guess you're going to have to wait and see how it all plays out. Cause I honestly don't even know <laughs> oh, okay. until, until we, you know, until it all gets stitched together. Going back to shooting all stars a year ago mm -hmm. and then waiting until it ran this spring and then the finale in June. Mm -hmm. Talk about how hard it, it was for you just keeping a secret. Oh my gosh, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's very hard to hold a secret for, let me think here, I think it was like seven yeah. or something like that. Um, very difficult. 
So especially with your friends and you know people that are very close to me and I'm like, I want to tell you this really exciting thing that happened to me, but I can't tell you any details at all. Um, and But I think that that's where the magic is with the show is like, this amazing experience happens to you in real life and then you have to hold the secret until the rest of the world can see it. But um, once it's all out there, it's the best feeling. And I remember the last day of the finale, I was crying, I was watching on Zoom with all my friends and I kind of got to relive um, a lot of those moments, but relive it with my family and friends. So it was pretty amazing. So tell the truth. Was Gregory a good host in Portland? Gregory's amazing. He's, I swear, he's like the mayor of that city. He knows every chef, every restaurant. You talk to anyone in that city and they speak so highly about him and talk about, and they call him Gigi. Everyone's like, Gigi's the best. Um, so it's, it's pretty impressive. I'm always impressed with how many people he knows, <laughs> and especially in his own city. So he's a really wonderful host. Can you talk about the importance of Black Visions Collective, Asian Americans for Equality, Asian Youth Center, and the Trevor Project, and why you decided to earmark the money and what they mean to you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm always trying to look at how I can be a better human. Like, how can I, uh, whatever I'm working on, whatever projects it may be, how can I also affect someone else's life? And um, so I think when it came to winning that prize money, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna just donate all this because they need it more than I do. And they're, they're, these people, that is my community. Those are people that have supported me through my journey. And so I, could, I felt it was only best to give it back, um, especially to those specific organizations. Um, you know, Black Visions Collective, I really wanted to support um, the Black Lives Movement and the trans community and um, Trevor Project with the LGBTQ youth community is, is an organization that I, I work with quite often. Um, and also the Asian American or the Asian uh, Youth Center right. and the, um, what's the other one? <laughs> Asian Youth Center. Those are the four. Or yeah. those are the four that I had. Yeah. I wanted to support um, just communities that are close to me and that really have supported me. Aside from the outcome and, and the fact that you won All Stars, can you talk to me about? I just love the smile that comes across your face when you hear those words. Can you talk to me? Can you compare your season 12 experience to your not including the outcome? Because obviously, when you win, that's the ultimate. But how was how did season 17 and the All Stars compare to your season 12 experience? What'd you learn? How'd you change yeah, in your approach, your person, everything? I changed so much. I think even the viewers can see it's a different person competing. You know, I think the first time around, um, I, I mean, I first applied because all my friends were telling me I should apply and I was kind of just, I felt a little peer pressured to do it. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I necessarily felt ready. And I, um, remember feeling just a lot of fear behind it and anxiety over uh, cooking on national television with cameras in my face. And so I was a different person. I, I was much more shy and I, 
naturally I'm an introvert. I am a very shy person in ways. Um, but I think through going, going through that experience was something that just like scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and, like, and I've discovered there's so much power and strength in that, you know, when you sort of lean into your fears and you do something like that. Um, I came out a, a completely different person and I found my confidence and I started to discover my voice as a chef and what sort of food I wanted to put out there in the world. Um, so, you know, fast forward, you know, five or six years from season 12 to All Stars, um, uh, you know, I remember the producer called and was like, hey, we got All Stars on the table, you want to do it? And I felt my stomach drop again and I felt the same anxiety and the same fear, but it was in a different way. I think I felt like, you know what, this time I want to go back and do this for me and not for anyone else that's telling me I should do it. Because I remember my family, they're even like, are you sure you want to do this again? It was like pretty, pretty rough the first time around. And, you know, you're in such a good place. Like, why, why do you want to do it? And I remember feeling well, I feel a little scared and I'm hearing names like Brian Voltaggio and Gregory Gorday and, and like they are heavy hitting chefs. And I felt, you know what? I grew so much from that first experience. Like, let's just do it again and see what happens <laughs> and let's give it a try. And, um, I think my attitude just changed a lot over the past five or six years. I just really matured into a stronger person and, um, felt more, I'm more confident in myself as a chef and as a person. Yeah. Very cool. Not to inflate your ego, but I interviewed Padma Gale and Tom this summer uh-huh. or during all stars. And I put each of them on the spot. It's sort of like asking somebody to pick their favorite child. I, I asked each of them, if you were throwing a private dinner party, which top chef alumni would you choose? to come in and cook for it. And it took about one nanosecond for Tom to say Melissa King and and gush about you and rave about you. Just your reaction to hearing that. Thank you so much for telling me that. I mean, it's funny because when you do all stars or any sort of the competition, like I'm a competitor and they're the judge and I, there's not much interaction between that. Right. So it's really amazing to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I was really surprised because I didn't think any of them would answer the question. Because it <laughs> it's, it's like asking somebody who their favorite child is. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough and one. And I give them a lot of credit. Obviously, Padma and Gail didn't say Melissa. but <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's okay. I forgive them. <laughs> um, the pandemic has caused chefs and restaurateurs to sort of adjust on the run this year and pivot and stuff. Talk about the virtual cooking classes that you've done and how that's kept you connected to both cooking and quote unquote diners, fans, customers. What, what's that been like for you? Yeah, it's actually been really amazing. I feel the pandemic, of course, initially sucked. <laughs> and it affected so many of oh, us. Oh, it still does. And it still does. You know, it really has affected so many people and their jobs and livelihood. And I remember overnight, all my events were canceled and I'm panicking. Um, but I learned, I felt like the pandemic really got me to feel inspired. It like inspired me to start doing virtual cooking classes, to build a small sauce line, a small batch sauce line, to build a merch category for people to support. Um, so I 
I feel like a lot of it came from wanting to, you know, I saw my sister and people at home struggling to cook for themselves um, because they couldn't go out to the, to the neighborhood restaurants. And so a lot of it was inspired by wanting to, um, you know, get, offer my skills to someone in, in, their, in the comfort of their home and even my own home and to kind of welcome them into the space. Um, you know, if you asked me last year, there would be like, no way I would let cameras into my kitchen. Right. <laughs> like my kitchen is like, just very basic. Um, I live in a, in a, place, a small apartment in San Francisco. Um, but I felt, you know what, let's, let's get vulnerable and like, let's, let's welcome you guys in to, to like learn something new and be able to make cooking exciting, uh, for the home cook and to show you to just show you that you can be a good cook at home and you can create something different than your usual menu that you cook for your family. Um, and to show also that, you know, I'm, I'm cooking on a really basic stove here and if I can do it, you can do it. Um, so I think a lot of it was just empowering people to become stronger chefs. Sort of like Stephanie with her shitty little kitchen. Oh my gosh. I love her shitty little kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's the best. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because viewers, as you know, already have a connection with you guys. Mm -hmm. and Which I forget. <laughs> yeah, and so then you, you add this element of doing the virtual cooking, whether it's what you just talked about or Stephanie with her shitty little kitchen. It, it intensifies that connection, which has to be really cool for you because you're not in a restaurant setting. You're not in a public setting and yet you still have that ability through your camera to to connect with with people that love you and love what you do pretty amazing it's really amazing to hear how well received you know these classes are with the public and how just excited people are to hang out with me in my own kitchen so it, it makes me feel less lonely in my home <laughs> because i can i can just like turn on the computer and and just be there with you guys right what are your post-pandemic culinary plans, cooking plans, business plans, what's on the horizon in, in your mind on the drawing board? Yeah, um, there's a few things. I mean, I have so many personal goals that I've achieved and that I, and I still have a whole laundry list of more <laughs> that I wanna achieve um, moving forward. Um, a lot is, one would be focusing on um, getting those small batch sauces on a larger scale, really getting that out in retail spaces. Um, so yeah, bulking that up. And also- so those sold out really, really quick. Oh, it was insane. All, all three, three, three rounds, yeah. It was just like the episode where we had our family members come and make the sauces. Like my mom, my sister, everyone was in it, like trying to hand label these jars. We did it all by ourselves, like labor of love with the help of my amazing family. Um, but yeah, I think taking the next steps and, and finding like a manufacturer or co-packer to kind of get that bulked up on a larger scale. Um, so yeah, working on more products uh, for the product line and then also books is a category I'm really looking into, um, trying to pursue a cookbook and even a memoir, um, just wanting to get you know, my story out there and also get my food out there for people at home to be able to experience. Um, and then, you know, I guess it depends what happens with this pandemic, but you know, restaurants always on the back of my mind, but 
obviously right now is a pretty <laughs> tough yeah. time for that journey. Um, but I think it all comes down to timing. Um, so I would, you know, down the road, love to have my own space. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Melissa King was not only the winner of Top Chef All-Stars LA, but she won and, you know, we just discussed it with her. She also won Fan Favorite, which is a nice double honor to, to, walk, away from a, to walk away from a season with. It's always interesting to me on that show, and I'm curious what you think, when we have a season where the best of the best aren't necessarily likable, or do something or say something during the course of a season. Melissa King is eminently likable, very popular as, as is evidenced by the fact that she won the money for fan favorite and did good things with it. But um, do you like more conflict when you're watching Top Chef or do you like a season like All-Stars last year where everything was kumbaya and it was one big giant family competing and still getting along? Well, I go back to something some uh, um, some chefs told me a while back. Netflix had this uh, culinary competition called The Final Table, and they pulled some very big names from across the globe to compete. And one of the reasons why a handful of the American-based chefs chose to compete on it, and they specifically told me, was that they didn't want the aspect of, hey, I've got to go back to a house and be all nicey-nice with everybody. I want to come, cook, and go home. But if you look at Top Chef, part of the competition is not just cook and go home. People want to be invested in the chef. And I think the bigger trend when it comes to finding a restaurant that you love or finding a, a, a chef that you love is that you have to be invested in the person that they are, which makes it important that top chef shows their time in the house, or they give some background about uh, a chef's family and why they cook a certain way and who they are and how that influences them. I think we're no longer at the point where we want a plate of food that just shows up with no explanation. We want to have that connection. We want to have that understanding of why is this dish more important than a similar dish that we could get down the street. That connection to the food and the person that makes it is, it, it is driving people's choices. When there's so many options out there, you have to find what sets one chef and restaurant apart from another and whether it's popularity when it comes to a fan favorite scenario or you connect with someone because they went to your they lived in your same hometown or they have a, a relatable story that is something that happened in your life that makes that person you want to root for them you want to do you want to see them do well you want to vote for them for fan favorite and more importantly you want to go to their restaurant after you watch the show. Right. The whole point of this competition is not just earning a title because the title's great, but at the same time, the experience is actually driving people to remember the chefs and their food and to keep going back time and time again. Well, and it's interesting because for part of that description, you illustrated perfectly why I think Top Chef is the best and why it's my favorite. 
because with the exception of the, you know, the occasional all-star season where we're, we're already familiar with the chefs and invested in them coming up on, let's say top chef Portland, which premieres on April 1st on Bravo TV. Um, there's basically 15 chefs competing this season that the regular viewer like you or I might not be familiar with. So we are getting their backstory. We're getting their personality traits. We're getting their likes and dislikes. Whereas if you turn on tournament of champions, every single competitor on tournament of champions, we know already we've seen them on any number of cooking shows through the years there's not any need in those competitions to provide backstory or to provide any depth and dimension to who those chefs are. Cause we know them already. They're, they're personalities. They're not chefs. So I think that's one of the reasons that I love top chefs so, so much. I'm looking forward to April 1st. I'm looking forward to seeing who these 15 new chefs are. I'm looking forward to hearing their stories and finding out who am I going to you know, migrate towards and follow and who, who is, of little interest to me. So I think that's what another of the components that makes Top Chef the absolute best. It all goes back to the brand building that you and I have talked about many, many, many times. And actually, which I think, uh, not to do a deep dive now, but where you've specifically uh, cited some of the things that Brian Malarkey said to you, um, even though he irritated a lot of people, me first and foremost, um, everything he did was calculated and taking steps towards building his brand and expanding his empire. And that's something he's done successfully. So yeah, that, that definitely applies to these now nationally anonymous chefs that'll be competing on season 18 top chef Portland, but it, it, their anonymity nationally will be short-lived. Exactly. That's going to wrap up uh, another episode of excuse me. May I have some more? We are the food cast with an insatiable appetite. I am Brad Kramer, and my co-host is Christine Strubel, and we hope you have enjoyed this episode. And if so, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen to and consume um, your audio content, please subscribe, please like, please review. That helps us a great deal. And also, if you like, please join us again next time. Christine, we will uh, do this again soon. Bye, Brad. Take care. Bye-bye. May I have some more? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.